I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the block, Andrew Jones. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jones Today I bring you part two of our interview with Jarrell Yao Yay. If you didn't listen to part one last week, I advise you go go back to last Tuesday, have a listen to it, talking about his childhood and making his way into first grade. And this part two of this interview, obviously he's right into his first grade career now. Uh, he talks about getting his debut jersey for the Kangaroos and the Maroons, obviously a very special moment. He talks about when Tim Sheens first rang him to tell him he was in the Australian team and he essentially told him to fuck off. He didn't believe it was him, an incredible story. A couple of months later, he gets a call from Mal Meninga, goes through the same process, all very interesting. Uh, he obviously scores a try on debut in his Kangaroos game and his Maroons debut. Uh, unbelievable stuff. This is just the sort of footballer Jarrell was. Uh, he goes through a few more seasons at the Broncos and then we lead up to the injury that would change his life and end his career. Uh, it's quite hard to listen to. You hear the start of it at the end of this podcast and then you'll hear the rest of Jarrell's story in part three dropping next Tuesday, 6am. For now, though, Let's kick off part two. This is a cracking chat with a champion bloke. Let's go. The uh, the 2010 season rolls around for the Brisbane Broncos, and um, you missed the finals this season. Now, I mean, for for young kids listening to this now that have seen the Broncos miss the finals recently, I mean, back then, that was unheard of. The Broncos, they simply did not miss the finals. How did you deal with that season? That was a weird season, man, because um, first time in the history of the club's history that we missed the top 
top eight, uh, let alone the top four, because that's our that's our goal at the Broncos is a, is a top four finish every single year, and that has been since day since '88. So um, uh, to be a part of that was it's a bit embarrassing. Um, you know, I feel like I let the fan we found the let let the fans down, uh, and at the end of the at the end of the day, we, you know, I played for you know, the fans, I play for the people of that club because they're the ones that put a lot of the money into, um, you know, how we've grown as a, as a organization, not only as a club, but an organization and a business as well. We, we thrive off our, off our members. And uh, every time I lost a game, um, I made sure that, you know, I didn't feel upset as long as I gave everything. Um, and I knew that the members knew that as well. So but that year was very different. Um, it was, it was a, it was a weird dynamic. I don't, I don't look. We were in the mix of, and you could probably can't blame this, but it does it does stuff up with the dynamic of the team. But we, you know, Ivan Henjak sort of on the way out. We weren't too sure. He ended up getting the ass at the early 2011. So, you know, we knew knew at stages he wasn't going to be the coach because sometimes I just didn't have a clue what I was doing to train and the way he was, he was doing stuff and great bloke, great person, but just wasn't a great head coach. He probably could, he was a great assistant to Wayne, but um, he wasn't a great head coach. And looking back now, uh, there was, there was too many young players probably in that side, not learning enough of the coach when we should have been. And we needed a bit more of experience in that field. And Anthony brought that in 2011, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a hard pill to swallow in 2010 when we bowed early. The only good thing about it is that we got to go on our trip away and plan it. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't have missed there, but mate, before we get to that trip, I'll bring you back to that. Uh, mate, you just mentioned then that, and you know, this is with all due respect to Ivan Henjak. I mean, uh, I don't think it's an insult to say he's not as good as Wayne Bennett. I mean, it's like playing a song after Elvis, you know, the guy coaching yeah. after Wayne Bennett. It's a, it's a tough gig, but what lot like for you? What was the difference between a guy like Wayne Bennett and a guy like Ivan Henjak? Like, if you can put it into words, what was the difference there? What what changed? Wayne didn't need to coach. Wayne Wayne just did not need to coach. Wayne was a great people uh, manager, and you you've probably it's like a broken record. People hear this, but Wayne was so good at managing people, and that's what Wayne did best. And when the teams running hot you don't need to do anything else but manage the players and you just got to make sure that they're at training they're enjoying themselves and they're doing what they love to do with Ivan it was a bit of a mix up with you know um we got put on some bands of drinking piss you know we we got told we couldn't do a lot of things you know it's like taking away people's livelihood from them you know we we we, we play footy and I look this is probably to young kids out there, but I played footy because I wanted to have a beer with my mate afterwards and look him in the eye and make sure that I know that we both did our best job. If we lost, but we gave everything, I'll go have a beer with someone. If we lose and I know that I was, you know, I, I bowed out and I didn't, I didn't want to, I couldn't look my mate in the eye, then, then that's a bit of a different story. But, you know, I think the, the stuff with Ivan Henjak was, unfortunately, we probably just didn't have enough um, of people managing and um and you, you look into that team uh, there's some pretty wild boys in there but Wayne knew how to look after him um and just Ivan Ivan did it and then you got Hook that comes along and he's pretty very similar to to Wayne in how he um his mannerisms and how he deals with stuff he's very old school and uh, he'll tell you straight down the, but Hook loves it loves a beer so he's not going to stop that <laughs> 
Mate, uh, you know, when you were sharing a beer at the end of a game in 2010, do, did you feel like all 17 players could, could look each other in the eye and say, we gave our absolute best there? There were games where we could. And then, you know, there were still games that we were losing, oh, not not by a lot. We were, we were, we were, we were, we were, we, it was probably the first year actually in origin period where we really struggled um, for a long time. I know that, you know, that was a, you know, that's, that's something that happened a lot for the Broncos. But this year, this year in particular, we had a lot of players that were playing origin, but were missing weeks after the games as well. So we had a very young squad trying to um, pick up the pieces after origin. And um, so, you know, that, that was in a bit of an experience at times um, probably didn't help uh, in that period, but we still had a, you know, we still had that urge to win games and we did win some at the, at the death. But if you look at that year, that top, top eight were very tight. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like it was sprawled out that, like it is these days, the top four is a, a, a way away. But the, the, that 2010 year, it was a pretty close top eight. So um, we just, we just, we got pipped, I think, by the Raiders um, and they took that spot and uh, we had to swallow our pill and, um, like I said, it wasn't enjoyable, but uh, first time in a long time, it was an early preseason, and I tell you what, we got to work because yeah, we we we, we went we went hard when we came back in eleven. Where'd you go away at the end of twenty ten, mate? Tell me about the trip. Yeah, we went to Darwin. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting Darwin. Proceed. Yeah. Ex- Darwin. We went to Darwin because no one bloody knew us. So <laughs> we, went to, we went to Darwin at Darwin, and this is when. When it's probably a bit controversial to say this, this is when the big easy dog could uh, enjoy a beer, <laughs> <laughs> and it was his last year. So, um, yeah, he was there, and geez, he was sending it. He was my roomie. So, um, yeah, look, I, some of the memories I have with him are so enjoyable, and to even be, you know, we were the same age. So, um, you know, he, feel, I feel like he was a veteran though compared to where I would be because he played the game for so much longer than I have. But uh, yeah, it was a very good trip. Just a reminder that anyone that lives in Darwin, when it rains up there, you don't get hit with uh, little little bits of rain. Those rain, those rain drops are fucking massive. <laughs> Mate, I have no doubt you wouldn't have felt much, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you're very right. You're very right. <laughs> Mate, uh, 2011 rolls around and you're coming off uh, at that point, the worst Broncos season of all time. Of course, that's been blown out of the water recently. But 2011, your return. Um, the guy I want to ask you about is your skipper, Darren Lockyer. He's the face of the Brisbane Broncos. He's arguably their greatest player ever. Um, obviously, coming off the worst season ever for the Broncos. What changed in Darren Lockyer in 2011? Was there a different vibe when you returned to preseason? Oh, well, there was because we knew that it was his you know, he'd, he'd come out and said it was, he's going to be his last year as well. So, um, you know, we, we had known that for a little bit, um, you know, in early preseason, but at the end of preseason, when we got there, usually Lockie, um, wouldn't, would not come back for a little bit because obviously you've got, uh, you know, you've got to make sure he's playing tests and he's, he's doing all these things, but he was there day one. Um, with all the young fellas and he made sure that all the older boys were as well. And we used to do this thing called the 1.25. It's a 20, uh, it's up 20, back 20, up 40, back 40, up 60, back 60. You do that five times and you've got to get under five minutes. You'd, um, you got to get under 520 day one and Lockie got back uh, in probably the best date that he could possibly come. He, he knew he meant business basically. Uh, He ran, 
uh, some of the best times were like four fifty fives. Lockie ran lo, lo, that day. Lockie ran a um, four thirty nine. He broke the club record, uh, and he's a 30, 30, 33, 34 year old man. Wow. We we knew he meant business. So from that day. He didn't need to say a lot like he did uh, on the field because he just showed with his action. So we knew um, we were in for a big preseason that day and we knew that he meant business and, and we were going to follow him. Mate, tell me about the relationship between Henjack and obviously Anthony Griffin. Uh, I think this is a situation we see quite often in rugby league. Uh, you know a coach is under pressure. You know the man sitting in the seat next to him is probably the guy to take over. I must imagine it has to be a bit of an awkward situation as much as we all want to pretend it's a fucking Walt Disney film in rugby league. It has to be awkward. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine it would have been awkward. Um, look, we, we, we got whispers probably uh, just after Christmas that it was going to be, you know, he was probably going to have a couple of games even, but he didn't even make it. I didn't even think he made it there. So uh, I think the board came to a decision that, you know, Anthony was a successor and we knew that, uh, you know, basically the squad that was coming through was basically the under twenties anyway. Uh, so the relationship he had, Anthony had with the players, was already second to none. Um, we knew where Hook stood on on values uh, and who we were as a team and what you know what he seen for the future. So yeah, it was it would have been awkward, I suppose, for the coaching staff, um, but knowing Hook. He wouldn't have given a fuck, mate. <laughs> he would have been. It would have been all business for him um, when it came to you know you're going to get that you're you're going to get this role. So yeah, it would have been all business for him. And um, as soon as he took over, uh, he clicked into gear. And um, the start of 2011 was 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 no different than any Anthony Griffin team that he'd taken over in the previous years. So he was uh he was a he was a very good coach in the short amount of time he actually coached the Bronx. Um, so. Uh, look, I got so much respect for Anthony Griffin, mate. Another good coach you'd come in contact very soon. Uh, you come in contact with very soon, of course, Tim Sheens. Now, I, I assume you receive a phone call off him over the next few weeks. Yeah, so that was in yeah that was the first test in Skill Park. I, I did not expect this at all. This was a really, this was a look. I knew because 2010, I was 18th man for Origin in Game Three. Uh, so I sort of got a bit of a taste of what Origin was like in camp was like, and for an 18th man in camp in for Origin, yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah, you saw the tracksuit and whatnot, not bad. Ex- exactly. So I was not expecting to be chosen uh, in this Australian squad uh, at all. Um, but there was a running joke like the year before. Um, the manager, the football manager, Pete Nolan, he was handing out um, stuff for the end of season tests in 2010. And uh, sorry, at the start of 2010, sorry. And we used to have a 4X day every year. And basically you get, before the season starts, we used to get dressed up, go to the 4X boardroom and they'd put on a do for us. We'd sign um, some jerseys and then we would get on the piss. Um, And that would be our, you know, after pre-season before the season starts bonding thing. And he handed out all these uh, slips to people who are playing for Australia. Um, and he pretended to hand me one in 2010 and I took it and I was serious. And then he said no. And everyone laughed at me. Um, so when, when, when I got told by him that I'd be getting a call by Tim Sheens, uh, he called me. I, t- I told him to get fucked because I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was lying to me. Um, and then when Tim Sheen called me, uh, I told Tim Sheens to fuck off because <laughs> I thought I thought he was one of the boys jeer me up. Um, so 
the first encounter with Tim Sheets wasn't all time, but he's a he's a businessman as well, so he kept a straight face. He's like, no, Gerald, this is really Tim Sheets, um, and that was that was pretty cool, man, uh, because. You know, I'm in camp. You know, I'm in I'm in camp two days after, one day after that. Sorry, um, one day after, I'm going to school park. I'm staying at the best hotels in in the on the Goldie, um, and I'm thinking this is all a bloody dream. <laughs> Mate, I'm I'm having a look at this squad. I mean, Slater, Inglis, Hodges, Lockyer, Thurston, Smith, Seven Aceiva, Thiday, Cooper Cronk's on the bench for God's sake. Like, I imagine walking into that hotel lobby, it must have been pretty daunting for you. Well, look, at first you think about that, right? You know, you think about those names. But if you, you said a few of those, uh, it was my, my it was the right side of the Broncos. So it just fitted for me perfectly. It was Lockie, Lockie in the halves. Uh, so Sammy was the second rower on the right side. Lockie was the half and, and Hodge was the right centre. So it was only fitting that, um, you know, I'd play there because, you know, the chemistry was already there, obviously. Uh, and I was already, I was having a stellar of the year to start off with. So uh, I just didn't think it was going to be that early for me playing for Australia. But you're right, when I walk in the lobby and, you know, I see the likes of Cameron Smith and Jonathan Thurston, um, or obviously previously seen them playing Origin, but then you got, um, you know, Paul Gallen, uh, who, you know, um, obviously being a Queenslander, didn't like at the time, but, um, you know, got to, got, got to like G train, um, and got to really, uh, you know, pick his brain about rugby league and what he was doing. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was not only just me, Jamal Idris and Kate Snowden that year was, uh, were debuting for Australia as well. So I had a few young familiar faces who were a bit lost at first. Um, so, but the dynamic to the Australian squad, uh, is very different to the Queensland team. Like you don't go in there and drink piss. Um, you, you're you're straight in there for business. <laughs> who was your uh, who, who was your roommate in the Australian camp? Well, Aussie camp. Um, oh no, this is probably a little bit of a layer up. Everyone gets their own room. Um, when I was playing, uh, everyone got their own room. <laughs> when I was trouble. Uh, yeah, mate. So <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Uh, everyone got their own room. Uh, we stayed in the Meriton. Uh, on the on 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 uh, Sun uh, Surface Paradise. So first night we having teppanyaki. I was like, this is yeah, this is all time. <laughs> and mate, uh, it wouldn't be a rep game featuring Jarrell Yao Yao without you scoring a sneaky little meat pie. Uh, you you definitely you definitely had a knack for it. Incredible record. Yeah, look, I think it just. I don't know. That's I don't know how it happened, but the ball just seemed to fire me and. Uh, I always had try line eyes and uh, all I knew, Anthony Griffin, you know, taught me um, when I was coming through at the twenties, just to, he gave me confidence to back myself uh, where, you know, probably coaches, uh, actually I've got to, I've got to give a lot of credit to my uh, coach at uh, Norse, Brendan Lamb, uh, when I was coming through Adrian Lamb's brother, he really gave me a lot of confidence to, uh, and gave me a license to run and gave me a license to do whatever I wanted really. But Anthony Griffin really gave me that, uh, spurred that on for me. And he said, if I seen something to give it a go, but just be ready to hold the consequences if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't, uh, if it didn't come off. But the more I took those opportunities, um, the more he, he got confident in me doing that. So yeah, just kept finding the line and the big G train gave me that assist that, that game. And, um, very forever grateful for him because uh, he'll never let me live that down because he said, if I didn't give you that, you would have scored all your debuts. A little pretty, so, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'm pretty sure he, he was sharing that on social media a few weeks ago, wasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, no, he did. He did actually. Like, and he said, um, like, uh, good old times. Yeah, we are old, mate. So it is good old times. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he loved to be the low key ball player, Paul Gowan. He did. Um, look, it didn't do him a lot of help in the uh, in the Origin arena, but hey. Uh, we didn't really care about that. <laughs> it was hard to watch at times, mate. Talking about the Origin <laughs> Arena, uh, you'd get another phone call a month or two later. Uh, is that call made by Mal Meninga, mate? It is. It is made by Mal Meninga. What a moment. And, um, oh, that's – yeah, look. I hope uh, you didn't tell him to fuck off, mate. You'd be six foot deep. I did not tell him to fuck off um, because I had an inkling. You know, I was – I was playing such good footy that I thought I had to be in the mix. You know, Israel Folau had gone to AFL. You know, there was an opportunity there. And I was like, surely, surely, just just give me a chance. Um, and I did get that call on a Sunday morning, hung bung at Benny, Hens- Benny Hunt's house <laughs> after being out on a night um, with, the, with the little dozer. Um, and uh, I think Mac was there, Andrew McCulloch was there as well because we all used to own the same little apartments at, at Ascot. So um, we would always be at each other's homes. And uh, yeah, mate, that was, that was special. I was shocked, actually. I actually didn't know how to tell the boys when I got off the phone. I was like... I just, I just basically just said, I'm playing Origin this, next week. And they're like, what? I was like, I'm playing Origin next week. And, you know, you know you're doing something right when your mates just embrace you and just, just are so happy for you. And um, I got to call my grandmother, my late great-grandmother who passed away in 19. And that was, you know, that meant the world to her um, for, for stuff like that. Just because she knew how hard I bloody worked to, to get there. And she knew that I wanted to be a Queenslander. Uh, my family weren't hated Queensland, never followed Queensland, always followed New South Wales. Um, we're not from New South Wales, so I don't know bloody why, but they, they <laughs> just love One of those follow- people, huh? Yeah, they were. They loved to follow New South Wales because they didn't like the Broncos as well because the Broncos were so successful and they loved the underdogs. But it was the first time I ever see my grandfather, my, my grandmother and my mum put a maroon jersey on. So that in itself was a win for me. Um, and yeah, those, you can't get those moments back. I mean, Mal just said, you know, he was just saying, I'm very deserving of this and enjoy this moment. Um, not a lot of people get to do this and he's so correct. I mean, there's only been 200 and, you know, 220, I think who've ever been able to don that Jersey. And, um, you know, I was number one, six, nine. So it's an absolute privilege to even be able to, you know, spoken, um, be, be spoken about in, in that side. Mate, I imagine obviously getting a Queensland jersey special uh, to receive it from Mal Meninga, you know, one of the most dominant outside backs we've ever seen, an outside back yourself. And, you know, just the, being the Queensland legend he is, I'm not sure if there's a better person to receive that jersey from. No, there's not, mate. And, you know, look, you know what? We were in such a good stead at the time for Queensland as well. I mean, that to me was – I was – I was – hoping that I'd go on to play a lot more Origins than I did. But, uh, you know, I was a part of the six in a row that year. And, um, you know, the illustrious six, you know, the sensational six we were called. Yeah, we all know um, about it, mate. We all know about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the sensational six we were called. And just, yeah, like I said, I was just just a part of such a great, great footy side that, you know, my kids – you know, your kids, you know, we, we might never see that again. So to, to be honest, to, to be in, yeah, that's the same sentences as being in that Mal Meninga um, eight in a row was, was pretty cool. Now, mate, I believe when you enter this camp for the first time, I believe you introduce <laughs> yourself uh, to your roomie. Is that right? 
I did. Billy Slater. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is just being a young kid, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But um, what happened was, when you go there, we usually go down to Coolum. Um, back then, we had camp on Coolum. So Coolum was a huge golf course, but it all had a little um, – they, they had two rooms and you had your own living room you had your own en-suites so two bedrooms two en-suites in this in this um this this place so before we went there we would go and stay in the city in brisbane and you'd stay one night there and um what would happen was you'd uh you'd do all the media the next day so everyone would arrive and um someone had said that the concierge said to me oh can i take your bags up and i was like nah leave them i'm you know, they're mine. They're like, no, no, we'll take them to your room. I still didn't even get, you know, this. I'm not, still not accustomed to that. But I went up there and they're like, your room is already in there. And I'm like, oh man, who, I wonder who my room is. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely shit bricks. And I walk in, it's Billy Slater like laying on the bed. And I just, I don't know why. Uh, he got up. He's like, hey, man. I was like, oh, hey, how you going? Um, my name's Jarrell. Yeah, he goes, yeah, I know who you are, <laughs> mate. You're my winger. <laughs> and from this day on, I don't know why I said that, but I just was so nervous um, that I did. <laughs> um, That's yeah, unreal. It was, it, was a, it was just a – it was a it was a brain fart. I don't know. <laughs> mate, hadn't you played with him in the Australian side a few weeks before? you know what when when we were there um i didn't actually get like i didn't actually room with bill so it was all on field stuff yeah um yeah it was all on field stuff. but you know it was one of those things when you say you're like why did i say that um and that was the exact moment so yeah i I don't know what i was thinking um at that moment but uh it, it wasn't one of my best moments Oh, mate, I'd do some weird shit to be a fly on the wall in that room. <laughs> that would have been sensational. Uh, mate, obviously that game, another debut, another meaty. Um, how'd you score that one? That one was um, – oh, I remember this one. It, it's so weird how I remember this one because people were going to think I'm crazy by saying this, but um, I, I, I had a dream the night before I played Origin that I, I scored off a grubber kick. Um, it was so – vivid the dream was so vivid and the man i told about it because we would have a lot of conversations in that camp was cooper cronk because he were, he was a big believer in you know law of attraction and uh so i would tell him a lot of shit in camp uh, especially when we'd had a few um i'd just sit down and pick his brain but also we talk about some weird stuff but um i i did tell him that um game day and he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, mate. I said, I don't know. I had this the dream and it was just so vivid. And wouldn't you read about it? Um, bloody, I think it's Ben Hunt pops it out the back and it goes through Lockie's hands backwards. And the man that comes off the bench to pick it up is Cooper Cronk. He grubs it about 35 out on a on a on about a 45-degree angle to the right post at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, between Josh Dugan and Brett Morris, and it pops up perfectly between them. And I just, there it is again, just pops up into my hand and, and scored another try on debut for, for for I don't know how many times, but bloody hell, it just happened. Mate, there must have been some of your friends that were taking first try scorers on all this, surely. Well, we will look. We're not allowed to say that, but uh, yeah, there was a bit of money. There was a bit of money made. <laughs> oh, Would have been a good investment strategy, just quietly. Absolutely well, flying. Yeah, look, it was. I think I was actually. I think I was paying like I, I don't know how I know this, but I think I was paying about three sixty. So I mean, it's not a bad odds. Um, 
you know, for me to score on debut. So, um, yeah, I was, I was paying about $3.60. So, yeah, it was good money for me. Mate, uh, you let the state down in game two. You don't score a try. Queensland lose. You return game three. You score another one. They win. Um, mate, What? T- tell me about the party after that. You mentioned, obviously, uh, the Australian team. It's not a big drinking culture there. I imagine that after State of Origin, after winning that series, it must be one hell of an experience. Look, uh, look. If, 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 if I was, I probably wouldn't really ever tell this story. But if Cameron Munster can go do it and um, do it in this, this, the fashion that he did it, then I'm going to bloody tell it as well. So, strap well, myself I, in. Let's go. I bloody finished that game, and I just got word by hook. Uh, you know, a message saying, "Mate, enjoy the weekend. Uh, you don't have to come back to train until thir- next Thursday. We got Melbourne at home." You go and enjoy, just go relax, um, put your feet up, toes to the ceiling. And I'm thinking, Chuck, I ain't putting my toes to the ceiling, champion. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday night, I've got – look, this is how much I loved my mates and I, and I didn't care about money at the time. Like I just was – that. I just loved – I just had a fair bit of money and I was pretty good at saving money and um, knowing that I was getting paid. 30- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 30 grand in origin. Um, I was good. I was very smart with my money. I put it in a lot of investments and um, I'm very lucky for it now. But at the time, uh, I, I, I saved money for these moments, you know, like I, <laughs> I saved money for these moments. So I told the, my three best mates that I lived with at the time in their house that they weren't working uh, Thursday, Friday or Monday. Uh, I told them I'd pay their wages. Uh, so I said, boys, just put a line, bring your bosses said, no, you, you aren't coming in. Uh, so I go Wednesday with them. We go out Thursday. We got the keys to the city, by the way. You know, you just, <laughs> you just bloody, you can do anything you want in Brisbane. And um, at this start, at this stage, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd become friends with a lot of club owners um, purely because I didn't want to go to places where I was going to get annoyed most of the time and I could go and enjoy myself without getting punished. And um, it was the best thing that ever happened because I'm still close mates with all of them now. And, I never really go out anymore, but when I do want to, I can enjoy myself. I can go out and enjoy myself. So um, Thursday rolls through. One of my mates bows out straight away after Wednesday. He's like, we're done. Uh, he's done. He goes back He goes back uh, up to the sunny coast. And, yeah, the party just goes on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and <laughs> I pulled up Monday uh, knowing that I had a game against Melbourne on Friday. So um, it was a bloody great weekend. Um my mates will never forget it. Um, we, we all, that, that year we, yeah, we just had a really enjoyable time, but you know what? I, I prided my, I pride myself on backing up. So, you know, I didn't make sure that I went back the week after and I didn't play a shit game. So I turned up against Melbourne. We lost by four. I played my debut in the centers in the centers that game as well. Cause Hodjo, obviously the old fella just, uh, hammies were gone again. So he decided to not play that game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I backed up for that game against Melbourne, scored a meat pie and, uh, we come, they're just so good. The Melbourne Broncos clashes are just so good. So we end up falling four short of them. 
Mate, I reckon Hook gave you the week off in the hope that you'd take some of the Melbourne big three with you on the source and uh, do a number on them. Oh, look, mate, they're too smart. Smithy, Smithy's uh, Smithy's good. He knows what to do. So he, he went into the Thursday morning, but knowing that uh, he had to play next week and obviously be the captain. And Bill's not much of a huge... Uh, what's that word? I'm not very familiar with a bender. I don't know really that. I don't <laughs> Larry know that Emder. Very well. <laughs> That's the one. Mate, uh, obviously the 2011, uh, sorry, the 2011 NRL series. Uh, mate, it's a uh, it's an interesting year. It feels like the Darren Lockyer farewell tour. For, it felt like it went for three months. It was unreal, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, mate. It was. It was. Look, it was a. It was the way he was supposed to go out, and um, you know. If he doesn't break his face in that game against St George, we will probably go on and win it. But he he, he deserved the he deserved all the plaudits he, he should have got, and he he was a great um you know a great footy player for all all, all walks of life in uh, the state, his country, and and for for the Broncos. So yeah, the party did go on, and um like we got closer to the end of the year, and the vibe around the Broncos was. Man, we were gonna. We knew we we knew we had an opportunity here. We knew we were gonna go close to to win that grand final. And like I said, unfortunately, he um gets kneed in the face by I won't name the guy because he's one of my good friends. Um, but he gets kneed in the face in the St George game. And um, unfortunately, I'm trying to think who it was. Was it was it Beal? Was it? Yeah, it yeah, was, right. Yeah. Um, Beal, if you listen, I love you, brother. Should have put some salt <laughs> and pepper on that knee, just squally. Yeah, mate, he's, there's a bit of work done on both of those knees. So, um, it, might, it might have been a bit of extra work that done it. Oh, mate, but I'll tell you what, that game was unreal. Um, you know, Lockyer getting back up, hitting the field goal. Uh, I've seen prettier field goals, but they all count, and just such an incredible moment for Lockie. Yeah, look, to go out, look, we would, we would have obviously liked to have a prelim at Suncorp Stadium because that extra crowd would have probably got us home, I'd say, against Manly. But we had to go down there and and do a job. But for him to go out like that and to be to be carried out on shoulders, um, you know, that's the way Lockie should have went and, and that's the way he did go out. 2012 rolls around. And, I mean, you are being held in the highest regard. You've made your debut for Queensland. You've been successful there. You've made your debut for the Kangaroos. You've been successful there. Uh, 2011, I want to say you scored at least 15 tries. It was a pretty handy season for you there, 2011. Uh, 2012 preseason, I imagine you must have just been full of so much confidence then. Yeah, look, I actually, 2011, um, before we get past that year, I actually go on a tour, my first tour. I went on my first tour for oh, Australia. Of course you did, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, it was the BTE tour. It was the best tour ever. Because um, <laughs> I, I was at Nemu, um, and me and Daly Cherry Evans were where we became um, bum buddies, pretty much. We became pals. Uh, we were already mates before that, but we became even closer in that on that trip. And geez, we did some weird shit on that trip. It was enjoyable. Um, so, look, we, we won't go into depth into that trip because I might get myself in a bit of trouble. But uh, yeah, that was that was an enjoyable trip. But I I, I didn't come back to train until January. Uh, so I, I had a good stint and a good rest um, away from the game. And, man, I came back to training so ready. Uh, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was a lot – I've grown. I was a lot bigger. Um, I was stronger. Uh, Footy-wise, footy uh, you know, I was smarter in the sense of how I seen the game. So footy, you could say 2012, I came in – I was hitting PBs in the in the gym. I was 105 kilos and I was running, I was running 40 meters in like four. I think it was four seven sevens, which wow. is 
is like Wendell Saylor ran them at the at the Broncos at four seventy. So I was, I was, I was in the best you know physical uh, way I could possibly be, and I was thoroughly looking forward to uh, marking up against whoever was on the other side of me. Mate, before we do get to that season, is there anything better than being an emu just quietly? Oh no way in the world! I tell you what, the the uh, the saying "back it up" um, really stuck to me there because I trained every single training session and I trained the house down every single training that hung over. Like, and Tim Sheensing didn't care. He just said, "As long as you use a here." And it's been Lockie's last tour. We probably we probably bent the rules a little bit more than we should have. Um, as long as we and the, well, as long as we won footy games, I only played two in that, and that was Wales. One was Wales in that Four Nations tour, and the other one was the final. And I got told that I wasn't playing the final. So, what do you think I did the day, the, the <laughs> night, the night before the team run? Uh, I went out and got absolutely blind. And then Tim Sheens comes to me in the morning at team run and said, "Hey, mate, I think I'm going to play you over Bremos." And I was like, "Yeah, beauty, can't wait." <laughs> mate, I'm having a look at the score sheet now. Guess who's there again? <laughs> Yeah, you know I got uh, I got robbed. I got robbed of a try as well. I should have scored two. Um, they they took one away from me, which I was absolutely filthy about. But hey, look, you can't can't have your cake and eat it as well, mate. Uh, one hell of a compliment being selected over Bmos. Pretty impressive. Yeah, look, he he was still for me was the hardest challenge I ever had playing in that that comp when I was coming through. He prided himself on on consistency every single year and a look at shows over the over the years. He's just gotten better and better as well. So um, if I was going to give any praise to any winger that I'd ever played against, Brett, Brett Morris was the hardest. Brett Morris was the hardest to ever um, come across and he was a superstar. Mate, 2012 rolls around. You mentioned in the preseason you're absolutely flying. Your times are incredible, uh, full of confidence. Uh, I think Brisbane, they were sitting with a two-and-one record. I think you'd already scored a few tries in your first couple mm. of games. Uh, you get on the flight to Perth, and um, I mean, fair to say, a life-changing moment. Life-changing. It didn't feel right from the start. And I look, in hindsight, I know saying that now, you know, if nothing happened, I'm, I might not even be talking about this, but it just didn't feel right. We got over there so late I think it was like two in the morning we played on a Saturday and that was a I think we got there on a Thursday morning at two um so we obviously had a day to recover and we um we did a pre we did a team run Friday evening uh and it just didn't feel right I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to uh scheduling and and um how I how I get ready as well and my strapper didn't strap me at the, at the time the same of the game so I don't, I don't blame him, but it just, it just didn't feel right. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, the incident, um, you know, we, we go into the game and we're probably, we're actually under the pump a little bit in this game. We were getting dushed um, by, by, um, by the rabbits. They were, they, they came to play and uh, just when we knew we needed to change the game a little bit. And um, I know that, you know, I enjoy, that part of my game, changing the game in, in, in aspects. And, you know, we spoke about it at the first start of the podcast about kicking chases, um, chasing kicks, sorry, and making sure you're, you know, you're onto that. And this was no different. Um, compete for everything was something that Hook always said to me as well. And um, I probably could have pulled out of this, uh, you know, this exact moment, but uh, knowing my competitiveness, I did not. And uh, Dylan Farrell goes up for the catch and, uh, I was probably still fair and far away. Wall kicked it about 35 out across the field. So I had, I had a fair bit of ground to cover. 
Um, and just unfortunately, you know, Dylan Farrell being 100, and I think he would have been 105 at the time, and I was 105, you know. So, you know, 110 kilos down on my ankle uh, in an awkward position. Um, just didn't just didn't sit well with, obviously, my little uh, Murray, Murray calves and my Larry ankle that just didn't hold me up. <laughs> um, but my mum always said to me, if you're going to do something, do it properly, Jarrell, and I bloody did it, I bloody did it that day. <laughs> Next week, Tuesday morning, 6am, Jarrell Yee, he goes into full detail about this injury, the injury that ultimately ended his career over there in Perth. Um, an unbelievable story to hear, but even more impressive how Jarrell has come back from that and how he picked himself up, he dusted himself off, he tried to make a return to rugby league. He was on the rehab journey for two years, uh, had to have some incredibly hard conversations along the way and um, eventually had to hang up the boots without making it back to first grade. He got very close, but never made it back to first grade. And at the young age he was at, I mean, he had the world in front of him in 2012, and then it was all taken away from him. And how he's dealt with that since has been sensational. Um, for me personally, it was really special getting to talk to Doral because after – his football career finished. He he went into work for the Broncos and he's made a lot of leaps and bounds in the social media world, which has really laid a path for me to some extent. So it was fantastic to talk to Drell about those sort of things. He's now he's a father. He's happily married. He's working on a radio station now. He's doing fantastic things and a great story of just someone that, you know, they had the world against them and they've pulled themselves together and they've done so well to come out the other side. He had some very dark moments that he talks about. Um, he was suicidal at one point. He had a drug problem at another point. Gerard goes into detail on all these things and sort of he lifts the lids on the realities of rugby league players when the game doesn't need them anymore, essentially. It's a tough reality, but it definitely is out there and we all need to be aware of it. Uh, part three is... It really hits you, to be honest with you. It was a hard interview for me to do because I could really hear the passion and the emotion coming from Jarrell. I can't wait to share that with you. Tuesday, 6 a.m. next week.